Wada, this is Lewis Johnson with Capital Wealth Advisors. And I'm panicked about a wily coyote moment. This episode with Lewis Johnson went live on April 20th. Enjoy. Jensen. The Linsonator. That's correct. I am the Linsonator. Yes, I took you the Linsen and aided it. The, uh, welcome. Well, thank you. You too. Welcome to you. Did you notice we had no spring? It's fucking hot today. Why I'm in here and it was straight from winter to summer. Yes, Phoenix. Uh, I think most of southern Southern Cal we had no spring. It was better than the East Coast, of course, always. But um, you know, I, I, I'm trying to focus on not saying um, and makes me say um more. So I'm not even going to focus um, <laughs> um um. Speaking of um, our intern who's supposed to edit out all the ums, Ethan, chief of staff slash uh, his venture partner now and soon to be general partner at Social <laughs> Leverage. <laughs> He's done this all in one month. Only a matter of time. What a climber this kid is. I know, right? Yeah. And um, next time you hear podcasts, I will be at the side of the road gagging and puking. Does that oh, make good. you feel pretty good? Sure. I'll be somewhere in the south of France oh, my uh, God, getting yelled at by a French you? Renault car at the side of the road just puking. Le puke. Le puke. <laughs> is that, uh, fe- Do you think le puke is feminine or masculine? I think it's pretty masculine. First of all, dumbest language. I know it's beautiful. Do you speak French? A little bit, yeah. Yeah, je parle français. Je parle français. Je, je voudrais... Ouais. I mix it up with Hebrew. Really fucks with the French. I make <laughs> je voudrais kokacharbe, meaning I would like to forget everything. <laughs> but mix two languages then? And tell you what, you do that at any cafe, you get a falafel, just so you know. When you mix French and Hebrew, they just assume you wanted Middle Eastern food. Just a little tip for people going to Paris. Just a little extra thing we give you here on Panic with Friends. The uh, Masters was this weekend. What, what a great win. I was oh, John Rahm. Had him picked in my pool. You know, number one and number two are both ASU graduates. Yeah. Um, Kepka. No, Mickelson. Oh, uh, Kepka, I think, went to ASU, too, for really? some reason. I think he had the yellow shoes on. Is that true or not? No clue. I think he was wearing ASU colors shoes yesterday. I can't remember. Look that up. They were yellow. I don't know if they were ASU. But, we'll look it that's up. right. Mickelson used to play when we were there. Yeah. And we saw him, and he was always gambling. He owes you money, I think. Always. There was a funny meme going around where it just showed a picture of him smiling, and the, and the caption said, can finally pay off my bookies. Uh, but wow. And Mickelson's brother was John Rahm's coach. At Correct. ASU. And in 2013, there was a tweet from John Rahm that I retweeted that had a fortune cookie and said, good things will come in your future. And he wrote a caption in 2013 to Tim Mickelson saying, we are going to win the Masters. So 10 years later, pretty cool. That is very cool. Yeah, he has a club foot. Do you know what a club foot is? Clump foot or a club foot? Well, they may call it clump, a club foot. Do we know what that is? I don't know. I have no So that's why I think his swing is, is uh, he had to overcome that. Where, you know, for me, it was just my looks. I only had to overcome my looks. He had a club foot, which I think was harder. (laughs) (laughs) I'm doing well considering my looks, staring at a podcast. We're all surprised. Do we find anything on Kepka? He did not go to college. Oh, that explains things. (laughs) So why was he wearing yellow? Anyways, I thought he did a great job. When I saw the episode of Netflix, 
it looked like he was a messed up dude with the yellow hair and talking to himself. Quite obvious why he picked the live tour. Now I think he regrets it. One of the interesting things, hacks, that I think a lot of the live tour guys knew was, I think they figured that the Masters would always let him play. And so, you know, if you're Reed or Mickelson, you know you get to play in the Masters and British Open, so you take the cash. Right. And I think in 30 years we'll look back and while we may not like some of the actors, like Norman and Mickelson, I think we're not going to look too harshly on some of these guys. The money is hard not to take. So, I'd take the money. Well, yeah, you would. And you're Norwegian. <laughs> you're like, the borders are open. And uh, Ethan, would you take the money? Yeah, I'd, I'd take the money. Yeah, but just sell it. You're supposed to lie and say you wouldn't take the money. You can't be bought. I got to be honest. <sighs> All right. So anyways, congrats to John Rom. Pretty Absolutely. amazing. I've watched a guy play golf. He's uh, a member at Silverleaf. There's a trio of them. Finnow. I had all three. Uh, my other two, uh, I don't even think made the cut. Uh, Finnow. Well, Finnow made the cut. And uh, Max Homa. I don't know if he made the cut. I think he did. But the weather was brutal for those guys. So Rom just wore everybody down. And do we know what a club foot is? Yeah, it's a birth defect. Uh, your well, foot's so all I'm, I'm a giant birth defect. What is that? Like, I mean, it could be anything. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a birth- my mom looked at me she goes that's not a mole that's you attached to something that we gave birth to <laughs> there just happens to be a body attached to the mole but oh what, uh, what is it it's when your foot's all mangled alright mangled foot yeah. which is a nice way of putting it yeah yeah. I have, I have club face turns out so uh, we have a guest speaking of mangled uh, we're going to talk about the tech sector. See what, it, that's a good segue. That is fantastic. Yeah. The, the, the NASDAQ ones? is a club NASDAQ at this point. It's mm. mangled. And, uh, someone who back in 2020, when we started the podcast, how many episodes has Lewis been on? He's been on three. This is the fourth one. So he's, he's working his way up. Yes. He's not quite a leader of the pack with Ben Hunt, but Lewis is becoming a favorite of the show. Not just because he speaks different than us from a foreign land, Somewhere, I forget. What's that? What's the accent? I'm not sure. Southern. Yes, Southern. Very soothing, but yet sketchy. Uh, And that's the way I look at things. You know, if you don't speak like me, you're sketch. But he's proved himself over and over again. We go fishing. You got to trust people that fish. He just caught a marlin. We've gone marlin fishing two or three times together. We caught a buzz. I got some sunburn, uh, itchy skin, uh, a lot of fish, but we haven't caught a marlin. So... Lewis, is, this is his fourth appearance. When he first came on, we talked about the change of trend coming when interest rates were zero going negative. He warned that something up big was afoot. Uh, and then he's been back a few times ever since talking about how to play this cyclical trade. Now gold breaking out to all-time highs, which pleases my two or three Indian uh, people in uh, Mumbai listening. But I have no idea what that means in the real world because now I'm 57 and gold is something maybe I... Uh, you know, because I'm in T-bills, maybe uh, gold is something that I want to participate in. Um, so a little bit about Lewis, even though he's been on a few times. He's, he's got a great uh, monthly publication called Trends and Tail Risks, MBA in Finance, University of Pennsylvania, the Vorton School of Business, Political Science, International Studies. He's got about 2 to $3 billion in assets under managers, uh, founded an investment advisor. I think he's a a value investor. That's right, Alabama football fan. They cheat. And uh, <laughs> I can't prove it, but they cheat. And uh, what else? He was a portfolio manager at Louis Dreyfus. 
He worked at uh, Prequo. I mean, he's the T. Rowe Price. Uh, that's why we had him on the first time. A friend of mine, Lowell, introduced us, but then we became friends and fished and talked about markets. So let's get caught up as we head into the summer on this potential breakout in gold. All right. Oh, and what is he uh, panicked about? He's panicked about a Wiley Coyote moment. Oh, and for those of you millennials that don't know Wiley Coyote, very violent but uh, funny cartoon when we were a kid with the Roadrunner and the Coyote. And so I think he is talking about a cliff and maybe uh, our legs are spinning over a cliff. So uh, let's get him on the uh, horn. Sounds good. Lewis. Hey, Howard. What an intro. Wow, that was, that was, I can't wait to hear this guy. He sounds like a magical person. <laughs> if you didn't go to Alabama, would you think they cheated? No, I didn't go to Alabama. I, oh. I grew up, I grew up in Alabama and there's like a, as a six-year-old, there's a very important point in every young Alabamian's uh, life where they have to decide whether they're going to be for uh, good and right and everything that's just in the world and be an <laughs> Alabama fan or to fall to the dark side, be an Auburn fan. And of course I chose the light. Yeah, Auburn. No one even knows that, uh, you know. But they, I think they both cheat, so it's they keep themselves contained. Would you say that? Well, I, there's a lot of sports envy that I have to deal with as an Alabama fan, so I'm used to it. So, Lewis, we always seem to have you as the yin to my yang. You know, you are someone that I call when I uh, when I don't have any idea what's going on, and you've you've been on the podcast three times and pretty much nailed so many great turning points in this this overall end of growth era. Now it's, you know, heading into summer of 2023 and gold's breaking out to all-time highs. I mean, Bitcoin's still 29,000. I don't know what it means, but gold, I know what it means. We have the dollar, you know, what was it? Seven months ago, Bloomberg called it king dollar and now the US dollar kind of just filling and backing down about 10%. But gold... Uh, right here on the verge of all-time highs. Does it mean anything to you? No, it means a, a tremendous amount, Howard. That's why I kind of reached out because I felt like it was worthwhile for us to talk about that because that's kind of the, the biggest deal in my world, actually. And what does that mean? Because it's happened a few times in your career. Mm -hmm. Well, if you think about the way uh, I think about the commodity market in particular, Howard, the best leading indicator for the commodity market is the gold price. So when you get the gold price at a new all-time high, where it is pretty much now, then that sets the necessary precondition for what we've talked about for the last two or three years, right? Which is a secular bull market in commodities, you know, an eight or 10-year type move. And do you think this is related to India or do, do we care? All, you, all we care about is the price and probably all we should care about is the price. But if it's not China, where is this commodity boom going to come from? Is it just U.S. needing it? Well, no, look, that's a fair question, Howard. I think um, there's a couple of things when I think about gold and, and timing, for instance. I mean, if, if you think about it, it, it's proven to be a useful hedge over a long period of time. But really, if you think about when you want to own a hedge, it's, it's, when, it's, it's when it's just about before it's going to be valuable. You know, like um, hmm. you pay more for an umbrella right before it starts to rain. They're, they're worth more at that point. Yeah. Mm -hmm. and, and so some of the things that, that we look at, it seems to me, I mean, it makes sense that why it's working. I mean, equity valuations have, have come in some, but they're still pretty they're extended. They're still crazy. I was looking well, at Lulu yeah. the other day and I'm like, yeah. okay, I like Lulu. There's, there's never been more competition. I don't know how well they're doing. I'm sure they're doing great. The store is busy, but that everybody knows that. But it's still trading at 30 times 2,025 earnings. Now, 
It could surprise a lot of people, but what's left to surprise? Well, I think, Howard, a big, a big part of this idea of this secular leadership change that we've been kicking around for two or three years is, um, I mean, you need the, the quiet rise of something that, that people think is irrelevant, mm-hmm. but you also need the very um, public death of something that people think is relevant. Uh, yeah. And that's why I felt like, you know, Wally Coyote moment might be appropriate because uh, just the discussions we've had internally, just in terms of how I'm trying to frame that, Howard, is uh, it feels a lot to me like between August and October of 2000 and say mid 07, um, you know, we'll see if that ends up being the case. But the reason I say that is just, if you take a look at some of the breadth indicators for tech, they're, they've deteriorated and everyone's kind yeah. of gone back to the mega caps, uh, which have not, you know, yet collapsed, although clearly they're all under their old highs. Mm-hmm. And, and, and it makes sense. People are going back to what's worked for 15 years. I can't, I can't blame them, but it's been my experience that um, overstaying leadership at the end of a bull market is the fastest way to lose money uh, out there. So I like that. So the quiet rise is commodities led by gold. Although, yeah. so, why, so is when you say commodities, that doesn't include oil, or it does? No, it does. I mean, all the all the commodities end up working one way or another uh, together, Howard. But um, the one thing that always is is the case in my experience is that gold leads all the important moves. Hmm. Even though like lumber had an explosion, then crash, sugar is now at all-time highs, but you're saying a lot of it still would get tied to gold breaking out. Yeah, uh, yeah, very much so. So think about natural gas, for instance, Howard, right? So natural gas- Maybe the worst went, looking chart in the free world. <laughs> well, I did look that bad a few months ago, but, yeah. but think about that. I mean, that's the magic of, of price allocating resources is so the price went from 12 bucks in 2006, then it went to a dollar- in 2020, and then it went to like 10, and now it's back to three. Right. So that's kind of why I wanted to frame this in terms of a secular bull market and why gold is important because because the natural gas uh, pricing mechanism is doing a great job of balancing the market with all these different inputs because the market says pricing to be high, pricing means low. But but the, the real, honest to God, long-term bull markets are always driven by gold for one important reason, and that's that... Um, you know, you can't have a secular bull market in commodities without a secular bull market in the cost of commodities. Because just look uh. what happened in natural gas, right? I mean, so what's the right price of natural gas? The market has had three or four different views about what that is over the last two or three years. But what happens when the when the gold price is, is moving, and there's a very important reason for that. I remember in your uh, Econ 101 that the, the price of a commodity in the long run has to be equal to the marginal cost of production, right? Where that the aggregate uh, demand line crosses the marginal cost of production. Okay. So that's why you, you literally cannot have a, a secular bull market in commodities without a bull market in cost, or you just have these little spikes that go crazy and then collapse, and then it doesn't mean anything. Got it. And so, but what will drive the demand for gold? Fear or use or just the fact that no one's mining it because the yeah. cost was too? Uh, but no, that, that's a great or question. You I mean, well, I, I think it comes, well, Big picture, big picture, Howard, you may recall, we've had this framework that, you know, um, you know, cyclical cyclical changes, they, they always kind of look different, but the, the market basically finds a way to call forth the necessary set of fundamental conditions to make the cycle change. So if you think back to, you know, the conversation we were having, speculating on a potential uh, forthcoming turn. It was, you know, December 2020. You know, I, di- I didn't sit there and say, hey, Howard, I got a huge brain and uh, 
the Russians are going to- I said that for you. Go on. The Russians going to invade Ukraine. Right. And that's going to cause commodities to spike. And the Fed, you know, is going to raise, going to raise rates like super fast, uh, fastest, you know, in 40 years. And that's going to break tech. I mean, none of that happened. It's just that equity valuations were really high. And, yeah. uh, and so m- my sense was that, that that was a really important leading indicator. I mean, I've told our, our staff many times that, um, you know, valuation is destiny. I like that. And when valuations are high, you're going to struggle with returns in that asset class, which is why we've taken great pains to try to set up our investments to look as nothing like the market as humanly possible. It's fucking hard. Like I am, I am lucky to have gone through Web two largely unscathed. I mean, it was a beautiful era. It made sense to few. Obviously, it dragged as the markets do. It dragged. It's fun to talk to you you about this because I I generally don't get to pontificate on the macro. But think about how it dragged everybody in. You know, to the app store, to the app economy, to the cloud economy, to you just, you're an idiot if you're not in the cloud and building an app. You're an idiot if you're not an engineer. Um, and what do we get? We get semiconductors doing their thing. Machines are all that matter. There's a generation of young people that went to work at Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, moving pixels around that have been misallocated. Um, this is the very public death I think you're talking about. So there's so far hey. great things. You got the quiet rise, which is TBD, right? It's probably India, but you never know. But we don't know. It could be more war. It could well, be China. I, I really China. think part of it, I think part of it, Howard, is uh, is again, I mean, the, you know, tech is, um, it's been the world's biggest investment theme for 15 years. And mm-hmm. it's starting to bleed out over the last couple of years, but people aren't terrified of it. People keep trying to buy it which is what they started doing in 2000 and what they did for a little bit, you know, in mid 2007 as well. And that's why I'm very skeptical of this move. I mean, I remember when I was a, you know, young MBA student and I was taking this class on um, internet commerce, this kind of stuff. And everybody, everybody in my class had like, uh, you know, they were working on a business plan and everything. And so one of my classmates turned to me and they said, who's your venture capitalist? And I was like, I'm a damn student. (laughs) You know, I don't have a venture capitalist. Like you people are crazy. You know, and uh, it, that that's how silly things were. Yeah, for me, it was, I think, last year, my own SPAC was the top, but that's another story. Uh-huh. Um, last year, I went to speak at ASU, great professors, uh, and, he, and it was a venture capital class. And I did my MBA at ASU in, in the late 80s with Canute, what was it, late 80s? Uh, yeah, 89 through 91. And, and back then, everybody, there was the SNL crisis when we came. There was a real recession when we graduated, right, Canute? You moved back to uh, Norway. I did. Yeah, but major recession. 2008, major recession. Kids that graduated had shit jobs. <laughs> and then, uh, right, Lehman and all the, you know, everybody who had degrees in banking had to go clean cars at Avis, whatever. And then this isn't really one, right? These kids were making three, 400 grand a year, getting their food, uh, getting massaged. Uh, this isn't like pain. This is a very still public crowding of tech. They got paid well for the misdirection. No, things are still working through there. They're still working yeah, through there. They're still you know, working through. It was that long of a boom. Well, and, and honestly, I mean, I, all this stuff takes, you know, what's the saying? It uh, it takes longer than you think, and then it happens faster than you think. Yeah. So, you know, maybe that gets this whole Wiley Coyote thing, but it, it feels like this has taken longer than I would have thought, and now it ought to happen faster. 
I think it will happen faster because people will start saying, you know what, I'm not going to work at Zoom. I'm going to go travel. There, I just think there's so much money sloshing around. I just have no feel for because I still want to invest, right? Like if you gave me a choice and said, Howard, you could go set up a, a $3 billion RIA, I'd say, you know what, I have friends. I got Lewis. I have other friends that can do this. Um, as much as I love that business, I'm going to roam the world looking for media slash roll up. So I still think there's tons of opportunities, but as, as it comes to asset allocation, I think you're right that the, the public death is here. Um, machines, while they're interesting, can't save everybody, but they are putting a, a, a kind of a, uh, a spike in some, some potential bottoms, but there's something out there on the quiet rise. And I think, you know, gold, no one talks about it. They still just talk about Bitcoin. Well, you know, there was one point I wanted I wanted to make on on kind of gold and our, our theory for why it's working at this point. You know, mm-hmm. Howard, is that, um, well, I guess for the longest time, we've had a view that an over-indebted world uh, would not be able to take higher real interest rates Good that, point. that well, you know. Mm-hmm. And so, um, and of course, this is one of, one of the reasons I was surprised by the scope of of rate hikes, honestly, off off the lows because they knew this was going to cause a problem. <laughs> well, well, the the point I'm about to make is that um, is that we've now seen three essentially financial accidents in a row that demonstrate that interest rates are at a level where they're starting to bite. And what this what this means to me is that uh, I think gold is watching these kind of same things, which uh-huh. is which is why it's working. So the first one was. Um, England in last September, oh, right. they were raising they rates, her raising in rates. And she screwed it up. Well, remember they they raised rates really quickly, and then they broke their treasury market called the gilt market, You're and right. so they panicked and they brought back quantitative easing temporarily. And there's air quotes temporarily. And then the right. second the second breakage was a yield curve control because remember the Japanese are very over indebted. They had pegged their ten year yield at fifty basis points, and the market took it and rammed it right through that. And, and so the Japanese panicked and uh, because they had made a promise to buy an unlimited quantity of bonds at a certain price and the market shoved it right through that. So that that was the and second thing. how did they thing. react? I, I, I forget what happened gold, there. Gold went up a lot in their curves. So that's just gold. So gold's already broken out in yen. Well, uh, that's correct. And it already moved so in the pound. And then so I'm so I'm Got thinking, it. okay, well, this is two of these. This is interesting, right? You know, two, two's a trend. You know, one's an accident, mm-hmm. two's a trend. And then the third one, was uh, everything, everybody thought everything was okay. And then Silicon Valley Bank went to zero in like- uh, Two days. Yeah, yeah, like 18 hours. Yeah. And that was, that got everybody's attention. That got there my were broader attention. problems in the, in the regional banking system. And so in my opinion, those are three instances showing you that um, global central banks have a real constraint in terms of their ability to tighten monetary policy. And, and I think gold is very alive to what's going on in those markets, in my opinion. And that's why- it's working. And it's not alive in the U.S., so that's probably why it's lagged. And the U.S. dollar is strong relative. Mm-hmm. Got it. Yeah. You know, look, the point I've made for a long time, Howard, is that you know, gold existed before there was a dollar. Gold will exist long after there are no dollars. You know, like Gold is a little bit of a force in nature in itself. So you got a 35-year-old person. They, they saved a little money. Is it 2%? Is it 5%? And how, did, how, how does your firm look at something like that? Well, sure. The way that we try to get exposure to to precious metals where we're really bullish, really, it's it's very nuanced from our perspective. Like you may recall, I mean, I've spent twenty something years essentially as a gold as a gold analyst, which is longer than anybody should be forced to follow the sector. But um, 
we've chosen to to invest in a very nuanced way. So there's probably a thousand different you know gold equities or something in which you could invest. We own about a half a dozen of them, uh, really in a sector called the streaming and royalty sector. There's about half a dozen of these things, and it's a very diversified way to kind of benefit from the upside economics of um, higher gold prices without a lot of the the nasty issues that come with um, you know poking holes in the ground and driving around expensive yellow equipment. So if if everybody panics and starts lowering rates, that's good for gold too, because it just shows. Well, that- no, that's no that that's true. Or or frankly, if if there were um, once equity valuations begin reversing from a very high level to a a more modest level, that tends to uh, be a positive catalyst uh, for gold. I mean, we were looking at this in terms of our asset allocation studies a while ago, and basically what we found is that there were been. Um, we were making the assumption that a third one was underway. There was a big reversal, reversal, excuse me, in, um, in equity valuations in the 20s, in the 70s, with the death of the Nifty 50, and of course in 2000. And our assumption is the fourth one is underway. And, with the uh, death of gold, Fang, theoretically. Yeah, exactly. Very interesting hedge. The prior, the prior three moves were always uh, exceptionally strong periods of uh, gold performance. And is gold better to buy on the dips here or on the breakouts, just in general? You know, our view on this, Howard, we, we've been there for a while, uh, as you would anticipate. We were, we were kind of early. Um, I mean, I, I, I think that this, this door of higher precious metals prices is one we have to walk through to get to the, the secular bull market and commodities, which has been our expectation that we, would, that we would see. So this was very necessary. So I don't know. I, th- I think we, we may be there for, for some time. Uh, and, and really, this this kind of last thing I'm looking for, Howard, is the is the breaking of this consensus that people are all crowded into the last cycle's leaders. I mean, my my experience is that that is a devastating mistake to make when that cycle ends because it's very crowded, and when everyone's on the wrong side of the of the boat, you know, it tips over, right? Well, this has been pleasant. I uh, am going to take uh, some Zoloft. Let's just break for a Zoloft commercial. The uh, so so let me ask you this because you've just been right for two three years here and been our, a really great friend of the pod that I didn't expect to be doing three years later. Um, so obviously I like the quiet rise. I love the public death valuation is destiny. I love that. As I'm going to steal that, uh, but I will always quote you. Um, now valuation is destiny can mean whatever you want it to mean. What does it mean to you? Well. It's very simple, Howard. The um, the number one driver of your long term returns, if you look at long term returns in any asset classes, is the price you pay for it. Is it overvalued? Is it undervalued? I mean, it's a, it's the same asset class, right? So you could have owned equities in October of uh, twenty nine, and you know felt like, hey, I'm in a I'm in a leading asset class, and then it you know lost ninety percent in three years. But what a wonderful thing that was to buy at the at the lows. Like you're, you know, the the Dow fell from, um, you know, I think it was three hundred to forty or forty two was the low. So so mm-hmm. can you imagine buying Dow at forty two? It was it was a crazy outlier in terms of the valuation at that point. So so yeah, you know, there is this long term set of returns in all these asset classes if you look at it over a couple hundred years. But what you really want to do is be fully invested when they're kind of out of favor and they've lagged their trend for a long time. And so if you think about gold, for instance, this idea of valuation being destiny, and the gold price is the same price it was 10 years ago. And who are the other commodities? I mean, natural gas, I've been chopped around personally yeah, just yeah. trading it. 
is natural gas one of those that should, or is it just too tied to energy in, in America? Well, I don't know. Well, honestly, Howard, it's just like, uh, if you think about a, say, a secular bull market in equities, what do you want to do? You want to you want to be bullish all the time. You want to buy the laggards. And I think commodities are like that. I mean, they need to be led by gold, in my opinion, which I think is taking place at this point. Um you know, but but I think you know we want to continually be be active in the group. We you know we do own some other uh, you know non gold related commodity positions. So honestly, we've been lightening up on those. Um, you know because of the um, I mean, frankly the breakages you know we're seeing take place in the banking market. I mean you've heard the saying you know Howard that the Fed raises interest rates until they break something. Yeah. Well, I would submit they broke something. They broke something. Is it big enough? I mean they they right now all I see them doing. Is they did a better job here than they did in 08 because they just threw Silicon Valley Bank to death right away. So as someone who saw 08, I'm like, okay, listen, big education handed out. A lot of lucky people who didn't read the fine print on FDIC are saved. Good, bad. We could well argue that forever and all the unintended consequences. But um, did it help JP Morgan and Goldman? So are they just going to, are they the ones that have to screw up again because we've already kicked the regional banks out? Well, let me let me come at it a different way. I think um, uh, there's there's an economist named Richard. I think it's Richard Duncan, and I hope I don't screw up the analysis that I've He's seen. He's not listening. <laughs> well, <laughs> I I think the number he put out that said that there had never been a time of less than two percent real credit growth in the U.S. in the last mm. forty or fifty years that you were not in a recession. Uh, and it. and so the so, so there, the number right one, there, like credit's so tight. Well, but he, here's here's the thing, right? Is uh, something like roughly half of all the lending that takes place in the U.S. takes place in banks less than two hundred fifty billion dollar market cap, which is enough, strangely, to qualify as like smaller or uh, regional yeah. banks. And deposit growth is is falling because people are taking their their zero return deposit uh, and they're putting it in a money market it. mutual fund. Yeah, and yeah. so so basically, but as those deposits leave leave the banks or become more expensive. That's you know robbing the the ability of the banks to, to lend. profitably lend, and so our, our our concern is that um, you know remember is that um, you know gold tends to be a hedge asset. It's been doing kind of well, particularly when you've had these weak points of inflection, and the regional banks just seemingly blew up out of quote unquote out of nowhere. Uh, and our our view is that if that if that situation continues, meaning short term rates are high, banks cost of bank funding is high, then this this has to create a problem in terms of bank lending in the back half of the year. And you have to have hedges on like this because chaos could just come out of, you know, the corners. Well, you know, we, you know, talking about this concept of valuation being destiny, we started talking to our clients about this in late 21 because uh, some of these long-term metrics, like for instance, the cyclically adjusted or, you know, CAPE ratio, Robert Schiller, I believe, put together, goes back a couple hundred years. Yeah, well, it was 39, uh, which was very close to the prior two all-time highs, and that was late 99 and 1929. And this is back in late 21. And th- those are not good precedents for mm-hmm. you know your returns. And so I think it's 30 now. So it's gone from the, say, second highest in the history of the world to the third highest in the history of the world. Mm-hmm. So you know it's better, but th- this is why we're trying to take great pains, Howard, to, to have our portfolios look very different from that of kind of the the market because our fear is that the market is still tech driven, consumer discretionary driven, that those are the areas that have been such wild leaders. And I just I just haven't seen the the, the type of, of carnage that I would um that I would associate with the end of that cycle. 
Yeah, so let's this this a new corner called Help Howard Allocate. So uh, assume you have a rich friend Howard who got out, uh, sold some Robin Hood and other doohickeys uh, during the bubble. Uh, Ethan, turn your mic off. Uh, Muppet ears on. Ethan can't even hear this. He he'll, no. he'll change his title again. <laughs> the uh, but there's this guy Howard. He's handsome. Uh, lives in Arizona, low tax state. Good good fisherman. Good fisherman. Okay, fisherman. Uh, not quite uh, your aspiring, skill. Aspiring, aspiring, aspiring fisherman. Sweating problem. Uh, huge nose. A uh, lot of lot of sun moles. Uh, oh wait, I digress. Anyways, I'm very barbelled, and I'm nervous about this to T bills. Meaning, obviously, that's like I remember my friend Mark Mullen on one of the earlier podcasts said, "You'll discover Jack one day." I already called Jack T bills. I'm like, ah, fucking zero percent. Why would I care about something that's zero percent? Now I'm Jack to the bone, and I'm like, this can't work. I can't get free 5% for doing nothing, uh, rolling nine-month, you know, T-bills. I already can't get that. But, you know, for a while there I was. Um, What is the doomsday scenario for T-bills? Like, there's no perfect investment. So I have to slowly pull out of T-bills and allocate. And in a world where I'm being very specific about tech and I'm moving a lot towards media and entertainment and physical meets digital, um... When you're old and not new to this stuff, what do you do? Ease into different forms of asset allocation? Well, I could just tell you the the strategy that we've tried to use in this, Howard, um, is is we've limited quite dramatically as much as we can, honestly, within all of our different strategies based on their um, their mandates. We've we've limited our exposure to you know last cycle's leaders. You know that that's yep. going to be your your tech and your usual suspects. You know you know who yep. they are and. Um, and we've taken very meaningful positions, like I said, in, in particular in, in precious metals in those royalty and streaming yep. uh, sector investments. Um, mm-hmm. You know, that's probably the largest part of our portfolio. But frankly, we have a good bit in uh, two-year treasuries mm-hmm. uh, because, you know, frankly, something like four or four and a half percent guaranteed for the next couple of years sounds pretty good to me. We still have yep. some short-term treasuries in there, you know, as well. And then we've got some small positions in a lot of these beaten down international securities that have just you know, in basic materials and cyclicals that have gone nowhere. I mean, some of these things are the same price they were 20 years ago, even though they've tripled their capacity per share. So the earnings power is, has gone up dramatically where the stocks are down 70 to 80%. So so we're definitely, you know, we're definitely, you know, trying to um, put some points on the board. You know, the, one of the ways I've described that, Howard, is last year, 2022, we were really more like a boxer trying to protect our, our face or our body, which try to take the punch as well. But you know we're out there we're out there punching now uh, because you know I, I feel like in these things in strength in gold in um, in the reversal of the widening of the yield curve you know right now it's starting to steepen right uh, and so these are these are important cyclical inflections it's so our view that there's always a, a bull market somewhere um, and 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 typically if we're going to walk through that door and have that secular bull market you know in commodities that we anticipate. It really does need to start um, in these in these precious metals, and we think those those royalty and streaming stocks are the the best way for us to to be set up. All right, well, beautiful. Maybe tell us a little bit about the firm, just so people know. No, well, we uh, you know we continue to grow. Uh, you know, Howard. So, of course, Capital Wealth Advisors. Uh, the original company was founded by uh, two of my uh, friends and partners, is Bill Bynan and Blaine Ferguson, back in two thousand four as a, uh, in particular, uh, you know, family office and state planning firm. Uh, and then I joined in 2013 to try to, you know, supercharge the growth effort in investment management. Uh, and, you know, thankfully the business has blossomed. I think we're, 
I forget what the official AUM is, somewhere over uh, $2 billion. And one last question. Evaluation is destiny. Florida already has 0% interest rate. You know, it's a haven, let's mm-hmm. say, for, it's always Miami's been a haven for the crazies forever because it's 0% interest rate, the weather, uh, it's international vibe, uh, fun place. Um, evaluation is destiny. Where does Florida fit in here? No, that, that's a great question. Well, um, well, remember, Howard, we think about cycles a lot. And I would submit that, you know, real estate, you know, frankly, globally is very close to the peak at this point. And Florida is, is kind of no different. I mean, I feel like we're in a secular bull market down here with higher highs and higher lows, because frankly, um, we are benefiting from the ongoing refugee crisis of people leaving, you know, high tax uh, states uh, where uh, for whatever reason people want to move from. And there's a lot of- That's these- a pretty good reason. Yeah, yeah. no, it's- you If know, you're it's, American, it's, that is the reason. No, it's it's a refugee crisis. Yeah. And, uh, and so we're on the winning side of that because there's only so much land down here. But but I do think that, um, you know, remember, Howard, like our, our framework is that we want to study the- um, the su- surprises we knew were going to get thrown at us in terms of cyclical changes. And, and one of those, there's a co- there's a, a cycle called the Kuznets cycle that was named for Simon Kuznets, who won the Nobel Prize. It's basically a, a real estate or infrastructure cycle. And it peaks every 15 to 20 years. Hmm. And the last peak was 2006. And so look at this, it's 17 years on. So it's our expectation that um, we're somewhere close to that that price peak. Uh, but I still think that, you know, Florida has a lot of good, favorable fundamentals. It's just a wonderful place to live. I mean, I love it down here, being down here 10 years. So I'm still very bullish on our outlook here, but I think everybody needs to calm down for a little bit. Yeah. Speaking of the coyote, I see it with my wife. It's just If you're a cash buyer, we're over the cliff and it doesn't affect you. If It's already peaked if you're not a cash buyer. I don't know. These, these kids, I don't know how they're going to be able to deal with this. Well, I, I think... As, as much as we study history, and I think we've learned from it, and I think it's made us better investors, Howard, I think um, you, you have to have a certain set of humility about the fact that we're living in a world that no one's ever really seen before. Correct. And so um, it's been my experience that that you know you can't be open-minded enough in periods of Love change. So, mm-hmm. so I'm, I'm trying to go to great lengths to you know be open-minded about absolutely anything because it's just uh, it's just a lot going on. Yeah, I went from my 30s just believing so strongly about things to my almost 60s and like being more open-minded than ever and just like not, I'm not even listening to people that just stamp their foot and tell me what the future is going to be like because it's just, it's mind-boggling what's out there. But at the same time, we are, we are governed by valuation and timing was impossible, but now that the big bang went off, the destiny does seem to be lower prices for 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 last cycle's leaders. Well, this has been great. I, I really appreciate you always chiming in and uh, catching the audience up. It's grown a lot. I'm glad things are well for you. Uh, it's exciting that you caught a Marlin. Next time, hopefully, I'll be ah, with tarpon, you. tarpon. I mean, tarpon, tarpon. Sorry. Yeah, no, this it was amazing. Yeah, I mean, of course, the what I didn't tell you is that it had been 18 months <laughs> since the last one. I believe me, I, I we were blanked a few times, but that's what fishing is. It's kind of like, you know, you've just got to have the line in the water. It's just a yeah, question of how, yeah. much patience, how much patience you have. Yeah, the number one thing is uh, time on the water. You know, you just got to go out and give it a try. All right. Well, hopefully I'll see you in the uh, after the summer. Too hot there now. Are you hanging around Naples all summer? Yeah. 
you know, because the tarpon fishing is going to be best, frankly, when the weather is weather is worst. And so I went out just last weekend. And they're starting to show up again. So I'll I'll be putting some sweaty sweaty weekends uh, work in. All right. Well, I appreciate all you do. Um, again, trends and tail risk. I'll tell everybody to, uh, as I've been doing, to go there and uh, continue success, my man. Hey, you got it. I would always appreciate talking to you. Thanks, buddy. Always a gentleman. Yes, always a gentleman. Did you learn something there? You I think? learned a lot. I'm the next gold bug now. Yeah, it's not about being a gold bug. It's just understanding, you know, tipping points. And um, I think this new gold generation just will deny. Bitcoin's working as, as a quiet, weird, volatile hedge. So no one no one wants to do the work and buy, what did he say, the streaming and royalty people? Yeah. No one's doing that work. But uh, I'm going to get some names and speculate a little bit myself. And we talk about this on uh, with JC is buying a gold mine it, we, on our Trends with Friends show. So we're doing more content. Yes. Ah, I seem to be working harder every time I say I'm going to retire, I add another show. <laughs> I know. Well, you were listening to Panic with Friends with Canute and sometimes Ethan until he's let go, uh, which is, you know, it's a risk. How's, how's he behaving to you, Canute? You know, he's Lovely. being very nice. But, you know, I figure when he starts saying that he's going to be the CEO, he might treat me differently. God bless him. <laughs> and uh, he's already knifed Riley in the back. He's in the studio and Riley's outside wondering what's going on in here. <laughs> well, he could be in here. <laughs> so uh, Panic with Friends. We talk to people like Lewis, investors, friends of mine, traders, entrepreneurs, portfolio companies, trying to get a feel for what's around the bend. Sometimes you only have to be a few months ahead to catch huge trends. Uh, if you search my name, Howard Lindzen, or Panic with Friends, on Spotify, YouTube, the Googler, Apple Podcasts, you will see Panic with Friends. Subscribe, please. Tell your friends, and you will get a podcast every Thursday. Thanks, everybody. Howard Lindzen is the founder and general partner at Social Leverage. All opinions expressed by Howard and podcast guests are solely their own opinions and do not reflect the opinion of Social Leverage or StockTwits. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for decisions. Guests may maintain positions and securities discussed in this podcast.